Hey everybody, and welcome to the Experimental Aircraft Channel's podcast, or what we like to call the EAC Aviation Podcast, where we talk to fellow builders, manufacturers, and pilots about experimental, light sport, and ultralight aviation. Be sure to check us out on the web at experimentalaircraftchannel.com. We have a lot to talk about today, so let's dive right in to the aviation conversation. All right, everybody, welcome to the Experimental Aircraft Channel podcast. I do apologize. It's been quite some time since the last podcast. I just got busy with other projects, mainly and namely the website is finally up. So if you haven't seen it yet, go check out experimentalaircraftchannel.com. Our brand new website is up and running. Next will be merchandise will be the next big thing coming up here. So, but I'm sitting here with Nick Otterback of Arian Aircraft. I'm in Shelbyville, Tennessee, and we're going to talk a little bit about airplanes and a little bit about engines today. So Nick, introduce yourself and how long you've been doing what you've been doing with Arian. Yeah, yeah, this is Nick Otterbeck from uh, Arian Aircraft. Um, we started this uh, crazy endeavor uh, back in uh, about 2002. We came up with the idea for the Lightning. Uh, and uh, with uh, a business partner at the time who was bringing Jabiru engines in, we designed the airplane around the Jabiru engine. Uh, and in uh, 2004, we officially formed Arian. And in 2006, we flew the prototype for the first time uh, with the Jabiru engine on it. So uh, we've been doing this uh, since then. Um, you know, I've been flying all my life and messing with experimental airplanes and kit planes. Uh, I grew up with airplanes in the garage and in the basement. So I just th thought that was normal. And so that's what I do. <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem like anything different for me. So, so yeah, tell me just a little bit about your background. You're, you're formerly from Wisconsin. And I think you said your family has a little bit of an aviation history and that kind of stuff. And then... So, I mean, the family is not really much like anything big in aviation. It's just that uh, my grandfathers were, you know, home builders and experimental builders. My dad uh, built a, a fly baby uh, in the late 70s and then uh, built a Pitts S1 that he competed with in the 80s uh, in, in IAC. And so my grandfather uh, sonorized and restored a couple of Cessna 170Bs. And so, uh, yeah, my family has always been in aviation. I got my license when I was 16 in high school school and missed most of my junior and senior year because uh, I had my license. I had better things to do than be in school. So, um, But I passed, thankfully, and went to college. But uh, otherwise, yeah, we grew up with airplanes the whole time, my whole life, and uh, it's just kind of normal for us to do that. But uh, 26 years in Wisconsin near the frozen tundra, and uh, that's why we're in Tennessee now. Got sick of the snow. So, <laughs> All right, so you got sick of the cold up there and decided to relocate to Tennessee, which you still get cold here, still get a winter, but... Not as bad as Wisconsin and yeah. Lake Effect, I guess, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, anyway, what um, talk to talk to us about the the Lightning aircraft for a second and what it is as a kit, um, how it comes as a kit, and then also um, you do a builder assistance here in. in um, Shelbyville. Okay. So, so the, the the Lightning, the concept behind Lightning um, was that we wanted to make a, a composite 
airplane that a, a guy could build at home. It would be a simple airplane to build. Uh, it wouldn't uh, require a lot of special uh, fiberglass work. Uh, we wanted to take that out of their hands and, and make sure that they could build something that they didn't have, they had confidence in and they weren't worried about whether they mix the glue right or anything. So um, so we came with the Lightning. Uh, a lot of the big sub-assemblies, it's, it's considered a quick build. And the sub-assemblies uh, are mainly built. You know, the, the wings are closed and the flight controls are closed. The fuselage halves are mated. Um, things like wing carry through structures are welded truss structures. They bolt into the airplane. So um, the gluing that is required is like gluing the canopy bubble to the frame and windows and scoops and things and maybe wing tips. But uh, uh, very minimal bonding work has to be done for a composite airplane, which was, was our goal behind it. Um, we do offer a builder's assistance program uh, here in Shelbyville that if you don't want to build the airplane at home, you know, some people uh, don't have the time. Some people don't have the space uh, or you know they want to build an airplane but they're just they're they've not ever really worked with tools and stuff like that so they, they want to have the experience of doing that so that's that's mainly what we do down here nice and and the design of it at first glance um looking at other popular um airframes it kind of has the lines of either a pulsar or a glass air or a lance air uh, can you tell a bit of, of the design influence or whatnot from this standalone design? Yeah. So when I remember initially we said, well, we're going to put the Jabiru on it because we're we're importing those. We like that little engine, um, and we always liked the look of the Lancer. We thought the Lancer was a really pretty airplane. The Pulsar, the Glasser, the really pretty slick composite airplanes, and so we wanted to have something that looked like that but it would get good cruise performance but you know wouldn't land at 90 or 100 miles an hour like a lancer we wanted to be having reasonable landing speeds and so uh you know form follows function in a lot of sense so we start looking at the fuselage and its composite shape we 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 tooled that uh to what pleased us now i mean where the wing is where the tail is where the angles things are at of course that's all design criteria there and then the the airfoil that we chose um is a is an airfoil that's actually modified i don't know that anybody else actually uses it um but it's a modified uh type of airfoil to give us better slow speed capability uh, at least for a reasonable landing speed and reasonable stall speed but still give us cruise speeds that um that you know with the jabber will even give us 150 miles an hour uh, with 120 horsepower. So uh, that was the main goal behind the airplane. Okay. And you um, worked with a couple other people um, to get this design done in the early stages. Uh, and how much involvement did you have in the design of this, of this aircraft? And what is your, I mean, are you a mechanical engineer? Did you study mechanical engineering or was it more like a conceptual engineering yeah, you know, aerospace, uh, it's an aerospace science degree, so it's aerodynamics and engineering, a little bit of everything there, um, not tailored to one specific, you know, portion of that. So, uh, you know, the people that we had, um, the, the, the partners in this, when we started all this, uh, we all looked at home, we were all home builders. So we looked at this and said, well, what do we want to do here? What do we want to do there? We like how they do this hinging or we like how they do this method. Um, and so we kind of looked at those and, and tailored them to the way we wanted to make it work. Uh, the, the idea behind it, the concept behind it. Um, of course, when you do that, when you design something, uh, new, you, you have to design it for your specific application. So you're not, you're not, you know, 
reverse engineering anything like that, but you say, oh, I really like how they hinged those, or I really like this concept of this. I don't know that there's any other manufacturers uh, that I know of that have a bolt-in spark area through structure like we do uh, into a composite airplane anyways. There's there's other metal airplanes that do that and stuff, uh, and maybe that's where we got the inspiration, but not in a composite aircraft. Mostly they're they're bonded in. So um, some of those ideas, they, they we, we all got together and wanted what we wanted to do, uh, how we wanted to do it, and, and it went from there. So. Um, mainly it was my job to make it happen <laughs> and make it work in reality. So, uh, and, and since, since then, um, later on with the, the evolution of the excess and stuff, um, that's, you know, sort of been all, all on me, of course, hundred percent as the, uh, as my other uh, partners, um, you know, retired out of what they were doing and moved on to other, uh, you know, other things in life. Uh, that was quite a bit ago. So we've been doing most of the other advancement that you see now, uh, the carbon fiber spars and other things, uh, have, have, you know, that's, that's been all in house and stuff like that. So, so, um, early on, obviously the first designs, you would have had to do some, test flying, test piloting of this. And then of course you do a lot of first flights here from the builder assist. So you, you tell what that's like, uh, not only like emotionally, physically first flight doing that, what it's like, but also like, what is the program? What's the checklist that you follow that you go through? Cause you were talking to me earlier about how you go up and you literally turn like every switch on, on the instrument panel to put everything under full load amps. Of course, while you're over the airport to see if, See if there's smoke, yeah. but just walk me, walk me through like emotionally, physically, what is it like to do a first flight? And then what do you do during those first flight or the testing phase? Yeah. So, so yeah, part of that, you know, turning lights on and turning switches on and running everything that's, you know, of course, later on down in there, but, but a first flight, uh, on the prototype, um, I, I can't even really tell you cause I pretty much I'm old and can't remember, uh, but what, what it felt like when I did that. But, uh, you know, I do remember, you know, um, doing the first flight on that airplane and putting on the, uh, my softy, you know, I shoot and, and, um, with that aircraft, the prototype, which is still here, uh, which we don't fly anymore. We retired it, but it has a ballistic shoot in it. Uh, we had explosive canopy bolts. And so we had ways to get out of the airplane. And, uh, if all, all else failed, I was going to get out, but you know, we, that's not what you want to do. You want to try to fly the airplane craft if you can but uh, i do remember those uh, a lot of short flights uh over the airport close to the airport uh learning more about the airplane um because it is a new design and so you know what it does on paper is not necessarily what it's going to do in flight or it should but you're not really sure so uh, you still have to 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 work your way through that um we do the builder's assist program, which we talked about. And so, um, uh, you know, at some point that airplane is going to be done and somebody has to fly it. Uh, lightnings, uh, I've probably done, you know, on lightning specifically, 100 to 150 first flights on lightnings. Uh, I've probably done 300 first flights total uh, between lightnings and jabaroos and all the other airplanes we build or assist. We've been, you know, like I said, doing this since 2004 now. So um, that, the Still, when you do a first flight, uh, it's a mental state, you know, um, you know, I know people on uh, Facebook and Twitter and things and they always pull, oh, we're going to have our first flight on Saturday, you know, planning first flights. Uh, to that point of when you're going to do it. Uh, I don't like doing that. I, 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 I 
go through it, make sure the aircraft is ready, um, probably do the best pre-flight I've ever done in my life, you know, primary flight controls. Of course, at that point, we've already run it on the ground. We know it runs. We know the brakes work. We know it makes full power. We know that all that works. But <clears throat> when it comes to the first flight, you know, I might walk out the door and there's a 10-knot crosswind. So, yeah, I ain't doing that today. Sorry. You know, put it back in the hangar. Or we won't even drag it out, you know. Um, or we'll pull out and we'll, the plane's ready. we say, hey, Right down the runway, it's light. There's no wind. Okay, we're going to do it right now. This is going to be good. There's nobody around. We'll push it out. Uh, and I usually will tell uh, one or two people in the shop that I'm going to do a first flight. Uh, and they know, so they're on the radio to talk to me if I need anything. Not that they really can do anything once I'm in flight. Um, but uh, we'll have that. But I don't like the fanfare. I, I, I think it's, you know, for me, I think it's a distraction to think that there's a bunch of people watching and you better do this right. And I think that's a bad idea for first flights on home belt. So uh, I think it's a do it when you're ready and, and, and do it with those that need to know that it's going on and no more than that. So uh, it's still exhilarating. Uh, I can't say that it uh, hasn't become old hat because it's never old hat to do first flights. Um, I've had things happen on airplanes, you know, that we've built a hundred of them just like it. And and then have something come up. So uh, we've done engine outs. We've done, you know, <laughs> loss of electrical. We've done all sorts of fun things um, on aircraft. So uh, it happens. And even with the best checkovers and looks and, you know, pre-flights and planning, it still can happen. But uh, we always follow or I always follow uh, a, a mental checklist. You know, I've got test cards. EA has this great test card program. They're well-written. But we have a we have a, a we have what we know we're going to do first flight we're going to do this and we're not going to do any more than that you know we're going to take off we're going to do general flight characteristics maybe look at engines make sure everything's in the green but that's what we're doing we're not deviating we're not going to say hey things are going really good today eh, maybe I'll go a little faster or things are going really good today maybe I'll do some stalls right no we're not doing that we're going to stick to the test cards and work our way through the test cards over the the flight testing period so. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. I know I'm rattling on here, but uh, that's uh, it's it's fun to do first flights, but you gotta you gotta know your limitations and gotta know the plane's limitations and take your time. So, no, it's awesome, and that's I wanted to ask you very specifically that because a whole lot of people uh, that have asked that question that have had the experience that you have not only building and flying your own design, but several other that have been you know kit built and like you said other manufactured. Um, uh, options out there too so yeah just i i haven't finished mine yet i'm still working on it and um i'm curious to with i know what it feels like to fly solo for the first time and how exhilarating that is i do not know what it's like to fly your a plane that you've built for the first time and how exhilarating that can be it, just just the fact that when everything goes right versus if something goes wrong so that's why i always ask in pre preparation for that like you know what is this like and Again, what, do you, what kind of steps do you follow um, to make sure that you're, it's done safely, and 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 also just to make sure that you've you've checked everything, you've checked all the boxes, and not just like, hey, it's straight and level, I got plenty of power, it climbs good, and let's go fly circles for forty hours, you know. So, going back to that again, what are some of the very specific things that you would go through a checklist? Like you said, maybe you complete this page and then you land, and then you come back two days later and you do a next phase. But but what does that look like? Um, so like I mentioned before, you know, um, EAA, I keep bringing them up because they're a great, great source. They do have test, uh, test programs and test cards and things you can go over. I've written some of my first, my own test cards that I run through. Um, but generally first flights are just that take off, fly it around, make sure everything's in the green, you know, 
make sure nothing's falling off. The big thing, you know, we got to be funny about it a little bit once in a while. So you, you do that and you get it back on the ground, do a good check over. But then you go through stages and say, okay, well, you know, I did that first flight on the, say it's a low-wing aircraft. I did that on the left tank and on the main pump. So I'm going to do my next flight on that because I know that system, even though we've done fuel flow tests on the ground. So I know that that side's flowing fuel to, to, to successfully take off and fly this aircraft. So, you know, I'm going to go up and I'm going to, to do off and I'm going to do now I'm going to do maybe some slow flight deploy the flaps uh, see how the handling is of flaps but maybe not do any stalls you know yet hopefully you know how the airplane stalls and how it does in slow flight because you've maybe got some transition training from somebody uh, if you haven't you know then maybe some slow flight putting the flaps up but not necessarily stalling it even on a second flight because you don't know enough about the airplane yet um, so we'll do that on a, a second or third flight we'll go through that uh, and again maybe uh, trying something a little different different power settings or just different flight configurations um, you can, uh, in my, and this may be, you know, people listening might go, well, that's just totally ridiculous. But for me, uh, I'd rather have an engine quit in the air over the airport at 4,000 feet and have to try to, you know, get on the ground than maybe at 200 feet taking off. So what I'll do is I'll get up, you know, I'll, I'll check my fuel flow on the ground by switching tanks on the ground and running power on the ground, but I'll switch tanks in flight. You know, I'll get up, turn pumps on, switch tanks, and just pay attention to whatever I Because if, remember that first flight we just did on the left tank or right tank, whatever, we did that first flight, we know that one works. Well, now we're going to switch tanks, and we're going to go take off and make full power on the other thing. Well, do we, that's going to be like a whole new first flight again, right? Because we're drawing fuel from the other tank. Hopefully the tank's venting correctly. Hopefully it's flowing enough fuel at full power and, you know, angles. And you do all that stuff on the ground, but it's come almost like you're doing another first flight. So I'll go up and I'll, I'll have a, I'll have a flight where I'm switching tanks. You know, I'll switch tank to the right tank or left tank or switch back and forth with pumps on and make sure flow is still going the way it's supposed to, fuel's still doing what it's supposed to. And, uh, you know, I'll go through that. And then further on through the flight testing, yeah, you get to things as, as ridiculous as, well, I'm going to fly around for an hour on this tank and record it and shut it up, change it to the other tank and land and I'm going to fill it. And I'm going to see what it's taken out of the tank versus what my fuel flow is doing. Or um, this flight, I'm going to actually go around and turn everything on, everything that works, everything on, and load the system and, and make sure that, you know, my electrical planning and the, the loads that I thought I were going to have in flight doesn't cause any other weird electrical problems where things shut off and stuff like that. So, sorry. And, and when, no, no, when you say everything, you literally mean everything like... Um, Autopilot and landing lights. I mean, I mean, I'm landing lights on, nav strobes, autopilot on. Uh, if it's got a USB port, I'm gonna plug my phone into it. You know, whatever, just whatever I can do to load the airplane all up completely electrically and see, you know, see what works and see what doesn't work and see what starts blowing breakers. Now we've done that on the ground, and we have a very good avionics shop that does a hell of a job or heck of a job, excuse me, wiring a panel. But still, you know, in theory, it all works. But until you test it, you don't know. So your 40 hours of flight testing is for more than just boring holes in the sky. It's for learning about your airplane, um, gathering data to write your POH. Because remember, it's an experimental airplane, right? You know, and you're the builder. You're the home builder. So, you know, Cessna gives you a POH. Uh, Vans doesn't give you a POH, or they might have a nice one, but they don't have one for your aircraft with your equipment and your engine. So it's up to you as the home builder to go develop it based on the information and the data that you collected during your 40 hours of flight testing. Or 25 if you got a certified engine prop. 
that's another story. <laughs> All right, so that's a little bit about the uh, Arian aircraft, the Lightning. Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about the engines because Nick is also the North American um, distributor, distributor dealer. dealer or whatnot for Jabiru engines out of Australia. So um, talk to us about the, the horsepower options first of, of the engines and a little bit of the background of how you got into the engine side of things. Okay. So yeah, I'll get into the background of how we got into it first because I think that's really important. Um, uh, everybody in the Jabiru world knows the name Pete Karate. Um, he was the original importer of Jabiru engines to, to the U.S. Uh, although there might have been somebody from uh, Tiger Aviation or something, but they didn't do very much. So Pete started bringing on the Jabiru engines, and he really, uh, he's really the one that built the Jabiru name in the U.S. I mean, Dilla developed Firewall Ford kits, all the Firewall Ford kits we sell. Uh, Jabiru USA, Jabiru North America developed all those. Uh, they built their craft. You know, so when we do, we did a Firewall Ford kit for the Jabru for a Zenith. Um, we built a Zenith. We built it. We put an engine in it. We put a cowling on it. We flight tested the heck out of it to make sure it worked. So we didn't just put something together and say, here, it works. You go have fun. We tested that stuff, or, or Pete did. And I was involved with a lot of that. I was here. We were area and aircraft uh, in the building next door in this building we're in here today uh, was Jabru. And so um, you know, he really pushed that and he, he brought them in. Uh, Pete, like anybody, uh, you know, works hard their entire life and they want to retire sometime and they don't want to work their whole time. So uh, Pete came to me a couple of years ago and said, hey, I want to retire. I want to go uh, go live at an air park right now, building airplanes still. He's retired, but he's building home builds, you know, for himself personally, which is great. Uh, and so we, we took over that, that, that torch. We took the mantle for the Jabro engines, um, talked to Australia about it. Uh, being that we use the engine, uh, we're very familiar with the engine, and we're very familiar with builders. Uh, we thought that was a really good combination to, to keep uh, the engine side of things for the for for Jabiru, uh, here in Shelbyville and keep it with people who know how to build airplanes because it it's one thing to sell something it's another thing to support it and tell people or not tell people but 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 to advise people on how to put it in, how to run it, how to operate, how to maintain it. Uh, and so that's that's how we got into it. So we took over um, distributorship, they say for the United States, um, uh, the Jabber engine, although it's pretty much North America because there is no Canada distributor, there's nobody in South America. We sell parts, I've sold parts to Brazil, I've sold parts to Toronto, I've sold parts and engines, everything, so. we're. Uh, uh, like I said, we're we're considered the United the States the United States dealer U.S. dealer for uh, Jabiru engines. Although you know our website says North American distributor because there there isn't a dealer uh, in South America, uh, Mexico, or Brazil. There's not a dealer in Canada uh, and up here. So we we support the kind of the entire continent here. Uh, we sell parts everywhere. We've overhauled engines for people out of this country and stuff like that. Um, so that is really. Uh, what we do for the engine, parts and support, overhaul, firewall forward kits, things like that. So uh, we picked that up in 2018, and uh, it's been a great addition to, to our company. Uh, it really has. So. Okay, and what, uh, I think there's two models, right? And what is the the model and the horsepower ratings of each? So, yeah, we probably should have talked about that before, sorry. Uh, so so we bring the Jabiru engine, and we got the 2200, um, which is uh, an 85-horse four-cylinder. Um, and then they have the 3300, which is 120-horsepower six-cylinder. Um, and so at one time, long, long time ago, they actually made the 5100. Uh, it was a 185-horse eight-cylinder engine. Uh, there was only about 50 of 
those built um, for uh, specifically vans, RVs, and stuff like that. Uh, but at about the same time, Superior Parts and a few other companies started coming out with their own kit engines, versions of Lycoming, coming, and so uh, that kind of squashed that. But uh, it's a fun little engine, too. Nobody knows about a roll, but there's a few of them out there, and uh, I've flown a few of them. We've got an RV7 over here in um, Savannah, Tennessee that's got one in it, and so it's a lot of fun to fly them, but there's not very many. So really, there's only two models. Okay. All right. Well, one of the reasons I came to visit today, um, if you all want to step on over to the main channel uh, to do uh, uh, the video tour, did a tour for the engines and all the details on that, and then also on the Ariane aircraft, the Lightning. So if you want to see the full video of that, I invite you to go check that out on YouTube. Um, but the real reason for coming here is I wanted to dive in deep to the engine because I really didn't know much about it. Um, there's a couple of things I heard that are really cool about it. Like it's, it's a really lightweight engine for the horsepower and it sounds really good, especially open exhaust on like some of the Sonics and so forth. They're, they seem to be pretty popular in the Sonics platform. They seem to be pretty popular in the Zenith platform, but I haven't really seen a whole lot. As you know, I'm on social media a lot. I practically live on social media doing what I do and staying in touch with other fellow builders and that kind of stuff. But there wasn't a lot of things being pushed out there like some of the other aircraft engines. So I really wanted to, for myself, and to share with everybody, um, to kind of dive in deep to see what's going on with Jabru aircraft. And um, also to find out early on, and maybe 15, 20 years ago, there were some issues with torquing of heads, overheating. And I really wanted to find out for myself, was that really an issue? Was it a manufacturing problem? or was it simply the builder installation or, or cowling design? So that's one of the things I want to discuss today. So Nick, if you could bring us back in history to I think Gen 1, sure. and you're up to Gen 4 now. Uh, and again, we, we cover this in video for the video tour, but I wanted to, for people like to listen, be able to capture this while you're working in your garage. And hey, if you work in your garage, I'm, I'm happy to hear that because you're getting something on your airplane. Or if you're driving to work, uh, thanks for tuning into this, but yeah. Nick, if you could explain kind of the history of um, Jabru and then where they come from and where they are today. Yeah, sure. So there, and we hear the same thing. Like, so, well, my engine overheating or it's doing this or it's doing that. Um, and uh, so that's what our tech department, we, we, we try to help those people. But I think, uh, you know, the generation one engines, um, great little engine, uh, you know, uh, you had to torque heads just like the gen twos and threes, but had valves, adjustable valves, not like, uh, much different than a Volkswagen. Really easy to do if you've ever done it. But again, it was there. So a lot more maintenance involved with the gen ones. Uh, the generation one engines also uh, had fewer fins on the heads, fewer fins on the barrels. So the heat dissipation wasn't the greatest and stuff. So uh, aircraft that were faster, um, didn't generally have a problem with them. Uh, slower bush type airplanes or just slower drager airplanes in general, the, you know, there's not as much airflow in the cowling. Uh, those can present a problem and be more picky in their installation. Um, one other thing uh, that I think was is installation, but not necessarily the builder's fault as much as, or the builder's problem as much as, when these engines first came out of the market, uh, 3300 anyways came out in about 2000. The, the 2200 has been around since say, 89 or something like that, uh, yeah, 90. So it's been around a long longer. But when they first came to the US, um, the, the 912s were very popular. Uh, 914, I don't think it was out, but the, the Volkswagen engines were very popular. And so people knew how to put those in uh, and some of the other engines that were out there. So when they were taking a Jabru engine, 
and seeking in a cowling that was really designed for a different engine. And there was a lot of problems. Um, so you know, every engine doesn't cool the same, and certainly not uh, you know Rotexes, which are partially liquid cooled engines, uh, are not are not very much uh, uh, a problem to not have great airflow cooling. You still have to have some, but not a lot. We 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 do vent Rotex installations here too, so I know about them. Uh, but again, uh, I think those two combinations, you know, kind of gave it that kind of, you know, ambiance or that kind of thing. Well, uh, they overheat, you know, they might overheat. Well, so part of what Pete did, you know, coming in here and starting Jabru was to start building and developing firewall four kits for popular kit aircraft. And so the the more uh, kit aircraft that, w that, w that firewall four kits were developed for, um, the fewer and fewer... Um, you know, complaints we had about uh, problems because now the cowling was specifically designed to use the air ducts that came with the engine from Jabru that was specifically designed for the coolers and the mounts and the, and the mufflers and the exhaust system. It was all specifically designed with what Jabru sent with the engine to make it work and then tested. So as that happened, uh, we had fewer and fewer, you know, complaints about that kind of issue. So you still get them today because usually you got guys that have old engines and old airplanes because they've been building airplanes for 15 years. You know, that happens with home builders. Uh, and so we still have to have those conversations with people. But the the, the Generation 1 evolved into the Gen 2, uh, which was a really big step up for the engine. Uh, the Generation 2s introduced hydraulic lifters, so no more valve adjustments. But we still had a steel barrel and aluminum head, and we had uh, torque head bolts, you know, okay. So that ran for a while. Uh, and did really good. Had a lot more fins on the head, a lot more fins on the barrels, the, a lot more fins in oil pan. So the cooling then, the heat dissipation, not cooling, but heat dissipation was much better with a Gen 2 over a Gen 1. Uh, the Generation 3 uh, engine came out, which would we call roller cam engines. So fairly same thing as the Gen 2s, but uh, we didn't have external head oiling. We had internal oiling of the push rods and rocker arms and stuff. So much better oiling and much better cooling through oil in the heads we had more fins we had a roller camshaft with roller hydraulic lifters so uh, really good idle really good power take up power you know uh, power uh, application was was much smoother at that point so you know when you see the gen 3 the gen 3 is a pretty darn good little engine um, as is any of them, but you still had to torque the heads. So, and that doesn't have to be done as much as everybody thinks. You know, I tell people, you know, if you're torquing your heads and their bolts are moving, uh, you know, every 15 or 20 hours you're having to do that, you really have a cooling problem, not an engine problem. So, you know, these engines, if they're cooled right and installed right, those will settle down. And after 50 hours, realistically, 100, 200, 300 hours down the road, your head bolts, we check them. We don't loosen them, we just check them. They don't move. And, and do you say that um, mainly because of the extreme, in other words, if you're having to torque head bolts more frequently or less than the frequency that is suggested, is because you, you're, you're being brought up to the very edge critical upper end of the scale, the temperatures, if you will, versus... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, is what you're doing. Is it, The aircraft that we see where we're torquing heads or people are having to torque heads and they're actually tightening down, uh, yeah, they're getting to the extreme, not extremes, but they're getting up towards, you know, 400 degrees or so, something like that, a lot, you know, and so they need to, uh, that should tell you something. When you're doing maintenance, you know, we always, we have an engine class here, and one of our sayings is your engine is talking to you, right? Even though it isn't, it's talking to you and saying, uh, you know, if you're always torquing heads, it's saying, hey, I'm overheating, you know, maybe do something about that. Uh, and then 
once you correct that problem, it won't talk to you anymore about that. It talked about something else, but you know, it won't tell you, tell you about that anymore. So um, we want we, we have that to deal with. Now, the Generation 4 came out. Um, uh, it's been about four years that the Generation 4 has been out now. Uh, and the Generation 4 engine, while it looks and feels like a Jabiru, um, six-cylinder horizontally opposed, um, it's really... Uh, on the inside, the rotating assembly, the design, the valve train uh, is all Jabiru, but it's it's a complete departure from from what Jabiru used to do. Uh, the Jabiru engines up to that point were all machined, billet, you know, all billet machined, billet crank, billet rods, everything. Um, now the new generation fours, uh, one piece cylinders, so we have no more head torquing to do at all. The the cylinders are built just like a Continental Light coming, where they're they're screwed together. Or Franklin, you know, they're 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 screwed together. They're one piece. They never come apart, so no more head torques. Um, we have forged crank, forged rods, pistons. I mean, this thing is built to basically, you know, change your oil and run it. And that's about all you do. Do your annuals, change your spark plugs once in a while. Um, so I think Jabiru is kind of telling everybody that, hey, you know, we're really happy with the Gen 3 and where it was, and we're going to lock the design in place, and this is it. Because when you go to forging, you know, or you go into cast engines and stuff, that's all, you know, you're now you're making tooling. And now this is, you can't change that. We're a billet engine, a couple of lines of code and a computer, and you can change everything. So, uh, yeah, so I think the evolution of it, you've seen the Gen 4, I think that's that's Jabber telling people they're very, very happy with what their engine is doing and how it was. Uh, about 2017 is when we started seeing them over here. So. Okay, so the, over the years, or may, maybe a little bit of the Jabiru side that was causing some issues and a little bit of the, the builder slash installer causing some of these issues. And, and now it seems that um, you know, maybe they had some, some teething issues or growing pains, but now into Generation 4, most all that's been resolved. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, like I said, even with the Generation 3 engines, it, the, the, the roller cams and the, the valve train and, and how everything was set, we, other than having to torque heads, uh, and again, that's not that big of a deal, and we usually did it you know, on annuals, there really wasn't a whole lot of maintenance on those engines. We weren't seeing, uh, you know, you just don't see the problems at all, you know, that, that, that crop up from those kind of things. Uh, and the Gen 4, so, so far, we've... You know, we put them in and run them and change oil. <laughs> There's just nothing to do. All right, so let's talk. About, let's let's talk about the airflow then for a second, because uh, one of the things that um, I see Jabber who's done, and I've seen a couple other manufacturers, is include a plenum um, to basically keep the air tight up against and th and to be able to flow through the cylinders more efficiently, more or less regardless of the cowling you use. But that being said there's still really critical areas like the inlet and outlet of a cowling. So you, you mentioned earlier, I think off uh, on our own conversation, there's like a, a percentage or whatnot of an inlet to an outlet. So just talk about that for a minute. Yeah, sure. So Jabiru has always provided an air duct, uh, a plenum of sort for left and right cylinders. Um, they've evolved over the years to be different, a little bit different designs, a little different sizes and shapes. But the idea is there, the concept is there, and uh, any firewall forward kits that we have are specifically designed to accept those. I mean, the cowl mates up to them. Uh, you put some uh, baffling material on there, rubber baffling material to seal it up, and that's what you got. But anybody with other, any other cowl can use those as long as they will 
meet up to their uh, inlets with some fiberglass work or whatever. But you know, inlet to exit size is very important. And again, this is a fixed cowl application. We don't have cowl flaps or something like that. Uh, so, because people will tell you you really only need 80% of the exit area, uh, 70 to 80% of the exit area that have you have inlet area in cruise, which I would agree with. And once you're up in cruise and the speeds are faster, that's why we have cowl flaps on a lot of aircraft. You can close the cowl flaps up, you decrease cooling drag, and you go faster because you don't need the pressure differential in cruise. But you know, we're talking 150 mile an hour airplanes here, right? So what are we going to really gain by having cow flaps? So we want to see, um, Jabiru actually in their installation guide has an entire section on cowl design, uh, plenums and cowl design. And they talk about air through the cowling and, uh, how big the inlets should be and how big the exit should be. And typically you're looking at two to two and a half times the exit area that you have for inlet area. So when you add your inlets up, uh, and maybe even your oil cooler scoop and anything else that's going into that cowling, uh, besides like the, say the cabin heat system, which is kind of separate in there. Uh, you want to have about two to two and a half times the area, you know, on a fast Faster airplane, like our Lightning, yeah, two times is about is what's adequate. You know, uh, Zenith uh, Stoll airplane, yeah, two and a half times the area might be better for those airplanes. So it has a lot to do with, you know, making a negative pressure in the bottom of the cowling and drawing air. I know, you know, it's not just about the air going in. It's, it's got to come out somehow. Uh, it's, it's fluid dynamics, right? So it's got to come in and go out, and you got to help it do that. So... And there is a, like I said, you just mentioned the a ratio because there is a point where if you open up too much, then you're not pressurizing it enough then you're not squeezing the air through the fins of the cooling fins of the engine and create enough surface contact with the air. Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. And I've had plenty of home builders do that where they say, well, you know, it's not cooling my liking. They just open the cowling up on the bottom and then they actually they start getting reverse flow in some cases so some cases uh where the cowling kind of is flush with the bottom of the fuselage you know you got to fly at a little bit of angle attack right that's how we make lift uh or you know the wings of a lung attack so they'll actually get air that goes into the bottom of the cowling and the top and so air really doesn't move uh and so there's no or there's no pressure difference between the two and it just doesn't move the air just packs in and sits there and actually will dam up around the front and not actually go into the engine. Uh, it's go look up on NASA's website and look at uh, string tufting and stuff. They got all sorts of wild videos about reverse flow on wings and, and scoops and things like that. So all right. So on, on the engine overheating possibilities, there's a good chance a, a lot of people have swapped. Let's just use Sonics as an example because Jabiru seems to be pretty popular with that. And uh, I know that they start off with or a lot of people have ordered like a Volkswagen. So maybe they did an engine swap. And, and just simply jumped from the same cowling that they had for the Volkswagen and replaced it with, uh, or just put the Jabber in it and didn't do anything to the cowling or very little, then you can have these problems. And then the other thing is, as we all know, unfortunately, um, when bad news happens, it spreads like wildfire. When good news happens, especially in something as unique as aircraft, it doesn't travel as fast. Yeah. So that might be kind of two contributors to um, some of the, the history of, of this. Yeah, I, w I would agree. And, and, and then the day of uh, the age of social media and the internet, everybody becomes uh, experts really quickly when they don't have anything to do with any of it. So um, 
The, uh, you know, Sonics, for example, is a great airplane. It's a great combination, I think, with the Jabiru engine. Um, and there's, I probably get a, more complaints from Sonics builders uh, about overheating with my engine or Jabiru's engine in their airframe. Um, but there are, uh, there are some very popular Sonics aircraft that have built, been built out there. Uh, they've been on covers of magazines, and the builders of those airplanes have Jabiru's, and uh, they've they have them operating, they have them cooling, they have them doing everything right uh, because they have followed the installation guides uh, and they've done the work to make the engine work. So the resources are out there, you know, to even make the tougher installations. Because I would say making that installation uh, cool is probably harder to to, to make it cool. Than say a Zenith stole airplane, stole airplane was easier, you know, but, but even though it's a fast airplane, it has a very, very tight cowling, um, so much that um, early engines, we had to actually trim parts of heads off and oil pans off to actually fit them in the cowling. Uh, the Gen 4, we don't have to do that anymore. It fits, it's, everything's a little tighter on that engine. The cylinders are, have more fins, but they're also smaller and, and, and size. So, uh, but again, uh, it's about how it's installed and, 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 and you can install them correctly and get them to cool correctly uh, with the resources that are out there as long as you look for, look for the right resources that gives you help so. all right and, and just to explain some of the not say unique features but the features of this engine not only has as you mentioned kind of like a similar styling of the franklin cylinders which is all one piece now um so you don't have to do torquing of the heads and that kind of stuff but what talk about the ignition system for a second the starter alternator that's kind of unique to jabru um, so the so the Jabiru does have a magneto ignition. Um, one thing that uh, the designer of the engine, Rod, uh, did was he wanted the engine that was simple. It's got to be simple. It's got to be easy to maintain. you got to be able to find parts all the time. So we don't have electronic injection. We don't have uh, electronic ignition, um, uh, fuel injection or anything like that. We've got a Bing carburetor on it, which... Bing Model 94, it's a little bigger than the one on the Rotax, but it is the same concept as a CV carburetor. Everybody knows a Bing. They're easy to work on. They operate, they're easy to operate. So that's great. And then the ignition system is what they call a transistorized ignition. It's a fixed magneto. So it doesn't have, it's not a big box. It's not driven off the engine. We don't have accessory drives or nothing like that. So it's a coil pack on the side with a pickup, and it's triggered by the flywheel. So when the magnet on the flywheel passes, it. It creates a field, discharges the field, and you get a spark. So once the engine is turning and it's started, uh, you can shut everything off in the engine and, or any of the airplane, and it will run until you ground the ignition out, just like a, a traditional magneto. So we have that. Um, the alternator, again, is they call it a permanent magnet alternator, although it's some people would call it like a generator, but it is an alternator. It puts out AC power, um, and, and the, the power is 20 amps continuous, uh, 32 amps peak or something like that, but it's 0 to 40 volts AC. So uh, it, it makes its power, you know, down around eight or 900 RPM. It's making 13 or 14 volts, and it goes up from there. Of course, we have a regulator on it, so we don't put more than 14 volts into the system. But, again, fixed system, no belts, no, no moving parts, except that there's a stator that sits inside the flywheel, and the flywheel spins around. It makes power so so very integrated, uh, very lightweight, uh, and very trouble free as far as maintenance. You don't do anything to it. It you know you just it just operates. So that's pretty cool. We like that. So <laughs> I like it too because I have to work on it. So awesome. Okay. So um, one of the things I, I 
I was also curious about is there's some other companies I won't name at the moment that seem to be like really in your face on social media and what they're doing and that kind of stuff. Um, Jabru, I, I don't see that so much. I don't, I don't see definitely not in your face um, and very little stuff being posted. And I try to live on social um, and then coming to talk to you and, and you're, you're actually selling about four engines a month right now. And and not really pushing it. So that's, that's very impressive. I, I think anybody that's selling four engines for four of anything right now is actually pretty good per, per month. So, um, how is that happening? And, and uh, move, moving forward, I guess, you know, is there a plan to uh, do some advertising or marketing with this? Because, um, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing that it's, there's not much of a presence, but yet, there is because obviously you're, you're busy with it. So I think, um, first and foremost, we've talked about this many, many times during your visit here. I'm a really horrible salesman. Uh, I, I, I would rather be drilling holes and building airplanes and doing stuff, but, uh, the office work is an evil necessity and, and, and I just do it. So I, I like to like things talk for themselves. I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, like to stand there and, you know, talk down other airplanes or other engines or stuff like that. I want, I want to show you my airplane and I want to get you in and fly it and, or behind our engine or something like that and say, Hey, if this is what works for you, great. If it's not, Hey, I don't want you to be unhappy with it. I don't want you to come in here and think my lightning is going to land in 400 feet and take off in 200 feet and go 300 miles an hour. Cause it ain't going to do that. And you, so we don't want to sell you something you don't want. Um, so, uh, our, the engine, you know, it's been around for a long time despite, um, you know, the expert opinions on the social media that you find on occasion, the people that scream the loudest, uh, the engine is doing very well. Uh, and, uh, we do advertise on occasion. We have advertised in places on occasion with it. Um, but mostly it's just that engines out there. People know about it. Their buddies got one. Uh, their other buddies got one. A manufacturer has one in their airplane for a demonstrator. Uh, and, and so the manufacturer has it, so it, it must be a pretty good engine. And so that's kind of where all of our, it's driven. So, uh, um, successful despite ourselves, maybe. I'm not really sure how you put that, but uh, uh, the engine seems to sell well, and it's still selling well, and sales are strong, even through COVID, uh, especially during the COVID thing. We always talk about it, what is going on. Uh, people were locked at home, and they had nothing to do, so they were building airplanes, I think. And so, um, you know, it did pretty good. It's still doing really good, so. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. I'm just like the, the more the, the modern way of doing things is to be on social media and blast things in in video and media, which is what I do, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I but but to, to have somebody hear somebody that is doing quite well without doing doing very little of that is is amazing. Just I mean, and that is the best way, honestly. Word of mouth. Like you, you described earlier, doing a builder assist, and you don't advertise that at all. Is literally one hundred percent word of mouth. Yeah, we don't advertise. the The only advertising at all for our builder assist program is on the order form for the Lightning. It says you can have one to four weeks of builder assist, depending on what you want to do. But as far as anybody else in the world knowing that we do it, except for us posting, ah, oh, here how this is how far we got on the RV ten today, or this is how we did on the glass hair on our Facebook page, which I'm horrible at keeping up with. Believe me, I, I'm not good at it. But other than that, there's no advertising anywhere that we do any other any other builder's assist. But as you can see today, touring the shop, um, there's many aircraft out there that are not our design that we were building. So so it's uh, it's just word of mouth, you know, and, and we, we're fine with that. We're, the word of mouth is the best, uh, best kind of advertising. So Absolutely. 100% agree with you. Well, I appreciate you sitting down for a, a good, long-winded talk today. Okay, like but as, as podcasts can be and I guess should be to get all the information, um, if somebody wanted to get 
get a hold of you to have a, a long conversation one-on-one, how can they do that? Uh, so you can find us at flylightning.net. Um, or you can call us at 931-680-1781. Give us a call or find us on the web. Uh, It's uh, Arian Aircraft LLC, I think is our Facebook page. But if you look up Arian Aircraft, you'll find it. Uh, But any one of those places, you call us. Um, One of the uh, ladies in the front offices will find me. uh, Or you can email me and uh, we'll get the conversation going, absolutely. Perfect, perfect. All right, everybody, thanks for kind of tuning in, downloading, or however it is that you listen to your podcast, wherever you are, if you're in your car, in your shop, or wherever, or in your airplane. I don't know if you're in your airplane listening. Pay attention, but (laughs) we're going to wrap it up here, guys. Thanks for uh, supporting the channel. Thanks for supporting aviation, and uh, just build it. Thanks for downloading and listening to our podcast today. Hopefully you built something in your garage or hangar while listening. That's it for us today here on the EAC Aviation Podcast. I'm out.